Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2020, Children's Urban Fantasy, one chapter a day up until Christmas. Chapter 15, Main Course. Table for two, Jenny said to the maitre d', a woman with a severely tight ponytail who was standing at a little lectern near the entrance to the restaurant. In the name of Tomlins. About half the tables were occupied. The diners were all pretty old and smartly dressed. "'I have a table here by the window,' the maitre d' said, pointing to the right. "'Can't we sit over there?' James said, pointing to the back of the restaurant. "'Near the toilets.' "'Near the toilets?' "'Yes,' Jenny cut in. "'It's cold by the windows, and I need to warm up.' The maitre d' led them to a table for two that was tucked behind the coach rail and up against a bare brick wall. Opposite the table were the stairs leading up to the toilets. "'May I take your bag?' she asked James. "'And your coat?' "'No,' he said quickly, sitting down with his coat on and holding the bag on his lap. "'Have mine, thank you.' Jenny took her coat off and handed it over. "'Your server will be right over.' The maitre d' took Jenny's coat and hung it on a rail right behind James. Jenny sat down. "'Relax,' she said. "'We don't want to draw attention to ourselves.' She wanted to take Cece, James said. It's her job, but you're the customer, so you can do what you like. My gran always keeps her coat and hat with her when we go to posh places. She doesn't trust anyone. Give Cece to me, and you can take your coat off and hang it on the back of your chair. James handed the bag over, and Jenny put it by her feet. He got himself comfortable, and the short man, wearing a white shirt and a black tie, walked briskly to the table. My name is David. I'll be your server tonight he said with a French accent. He placed two leather-bound menus in front of them. Would you like anything to drink? Just water, please, Jenny said. Two waters. Still or sparkling? Still is fine. David left them. James opened the menu. Whoa, he said. This place is expensive. There's a steak in here that's over 50 pounds. I checked the menu online, Jenny said. If we each order one of the cheaper main courses and drink water, I can cover it. My dad gave me some money too, James said, so I guess we'll be fine. When should we check out the storeroom? Let's order food first, Jenny said. Then we can each head up to the toilet and have a poke around while we're up there. They both chose the same main course. It was not quite the cheapest, but with the money from James's dad, they could easily afford it. David disappeared with their order, then came back a moment later and put a little basket of bread in the middle of the table. We didn't order, James started, but Jenny cut him off. Thank you, she said. David left them again. These kind of places bring you extra stuff in between courses, she explained. It's all part of the experience. She took a piece of bread from the basket. It was warm and smelled delicious. She tore it in two and dropped one half surreptitiously into the bag by her feet. While they ate the bread, they tried to get as much of the mystery straight as they could. If we've only got Friday and Saturday, we really need to ramp up the Green Hands gang activity, Jenny said. My main worry is that we have no idea about the Engineerium at all, James said. I mean, we don't even know if the Empress and the Falcon are in it. I think I found something that might be the Engineerium on the map. Jenny took another piece of bread and halved it. But we can get the gang focused on it, as well as on a plan for the Big Top. We need to find a way of warning Elf, without the Ringmaster finding out. And the inspector, James said, with a mouth half full of bread. He told us not to go near the big top. And Elf told us to wait too. 
Yes, but Elf and Grauf don't know what the inspector is planning. A thought struck Jenny. We still haven't spoken to Claudia yet. Joe and Millie mentioned some cat activity in the chat. They saw a few cats near the post office at Seven Dials. Scoping out the engineerium and finding Claudia would have to wait. Their first priority was to locate the book that would hopefully unlock the secrets of the key to the air. When they had nearly finished the bread, James embarked on the first expedition to the storeroom on the first floor. Jenny watched him disappear up the stairs and fed the last of the bread to Cece. David came back over and cleared the plates. Jenny asked for a top-up for their waters. While she waited, she shifted in her seat so she could peer around the coat rail and check out the rest of the restaurant. A well-dressed woman near the front window got up from her table. Behind her, through the glass, was a shape that made Jenny duck back behind the coats. It was the unmistakable silhouette of a top hat. The well-dressed woman nodded to Jenny before taking the stairs to the toilets. Jenny risked a quick glance back out through the front window, but the top hat was gone. David breezed past and then reappeared a moment later with their main courses. Then James came back down the stairs at a rather quick pace and sat back down. Don't look round, Jenny said, but I think I saw the ringmaster through the front window. What, here, James said, keeping his head still. Yes, I could be wrong, I didn't get a good look. That's the last thing we need, James said. I found the storeroom. It's a dead end from this side, locked with a big fat padlock with a Brighton and Hove Council logo on it. Even if Cece could do another one of her magic tricks and get inside, she can't open it for us. And I bet no one here has the key. You might have more luck than me. The women's toilet is right next to the storeroom. I was just about to sneak in and see if there was another entrance when that old lady came up the stairs. I'll wait till she comes back down, Jenny said. Then I'll go up and see. She started on her main course absent-mindedly. If it was delicious, she didn't notice. She was too busy worrying about the possible appearance of the ringmaster. The well-dressed woman came slowly down the stairs. Your turn, James said. Jenny checked that no one else was getting up, and that no one was watching through the front window. Then she quickly took the stairs to the first floor. There was a hallway at the top of the stairs, with the men's toilet on the right and the women's on the left. Next to the women's was the storeroom. James was right about the lock on the door. It was a big, heavy, formidable thing. After a quick check around the hallway for any other possible entrances, Jenny went in to the women's toilet. There was a big trough sink on the right, taking up most of the wall that separated the toilet from the storeroom. There were two empty stalls on the left and no other doors. At waist height, above a big cast-iron radiator on the back wall, was an old window. It was already open a crack, held ajar by a worn brass handle. Jenny went straight to it and lifted the handle. It was stiff, but moved when she gave it a yank. The window swung outwards with a low creak. Jenny tiptoed and leaned her head and shoulders out. The street was below her, empty apart from a taxi waiting outside the dome entrance. Directly to Jenny's right, level with the storeroom, there was another window. And it was open, just enough for Jenny to see that the handle was up. There was nothing to stop it opening all the way. She had half a mind to go and fetch Cece and send the monkey in to check the storeroom. But Cece would not know what to look for. Jenny leaned further out. There was a thin ledge under the window, and it was only about a metre to climb across. With both hands still on the windowsill, she got up onto the radiator and started to climb out. 
then stopped. Her dress was caught on the radiator valve. Stupid thing. She gathered the fabric in two bundles and stuffed it into her thin belt. Then she mantled back onto the radiator and crouched for a moment, head tucked under the top of the frame. There was no one in the street, so she shuffled round and stepped backwards and out of the window. With her dress up round her waist, she was thankful that she'd put her leggings on to stay warm. She squirmed her feet down until her toes touched the ledge while her hands were firmly round the inside edge of the window sill. The ledge she was standing on was not that big, only a couple of inches, and she didn't trust it enough to let go with both hands. With her right hand still firmly inside on the window sill, she reached across to the storeroom window with her other hand and pulled it open fully. She couldn't quite reach the storeroom window sill without letting go with her right hand. Stretching as far as she could, she managed to get the tips of her fingers over the thin metal window frame. There was a noise from the toilet, the door swung open, and Jenny ducked out of sight, letting go of the window sill with her right hand. With all of her weight now on the fingers of her left hand, she started to pivot away from the wall. She danced her toes along the ledge and caught an edge of the brickwork with her right hand to steady her. It's freezing in here, a voice drifted out of the women's toilet. Who left the window open? A moment later, the window slammed shut, leaving Jenny stranded outside. Getting back in would have to be a future Jenny problem, as at the same time, a car turned onto the bottom of the road, driving toward the restaurant. Matching her hands on the metal window frame, she kicked off the little ledge and hauled herself up and into the storeroom. It was dark, and Jenny was annoyed at herself for not planning ahead and bringing her torch with her. At least there was enough light from the street to see that there was a clear patch of floor in front of her. She climbed down and walked forward slowly until she was near the door where she found a light switch and flicked it on. The room was no bigger than the toilet next door and was mostly empty. On one wall was a set of creepy shelves filled mostly with stuffed animals. To the side of the window was a big wooden chest and on the wall shared with the toilet there was a small bookcase. And that was it. She checked the bookcase first. It only had a few books, and none of them looked very old. She flipped through the pages and put them back. Just old novels. The shelves with the stuffed animals didn't yield anything other than badly stuffed birds that might have been discarded from the Bird Booth Museum. One pigeon, right on the top shelf, looked pretty lifelike, though. It seemed like it was looking at her through fake glass eyes. That left only the chest. On second inspection, it was more like a big old suitcase or a trunk. It was well-travelled, with plenty of dents and scratches in the hard brown casing. It had two silver clasps on the front holding it closed. Next to one of them were three scratches. Jenny thought about using the badger stone, but the clasps opened easily when she tried them. With an air of expectation, she lifted the lid, rested it back against the wall, revealing an empty space. No book. No artefacts, nothing. Jenny let out a long breath and glanced back around the room. She had felt certain that the chest contained something interesting. She knelt down and checked it again. Oh well, they had enough to do, finding Claudia and investigating the engineerium. And Jenny still had the problem of how to get out of the storeroom. She stood up to close the chest, and her eye caught on something that made her pause. It was a feather caught in the hinge of the chest. A grey feather. Without thinking, she pulled it out and stared at it. 
her first thought was that the stuffed animals had been transported in the chest. She looked back up to the pigeon on the top shelf. It was still looking down at her with its glazed eyes. It was the same colour as the feather in her hand. Dragging the chest over to the shelves, she climbed on top and reached up to fetch the pigeon down. Coo! the pigeon called out and launched itself off the shelf. Jenny shrieked and nearly fell back off the chest in surprise, holding onto the shelf to steady herself, while the bird flapped a lap of the ceiling and then flew straight out of the window, cooing as it went. With her heart racing, Jenny jumped from the chest and leaned out of the window. The bird was gone. She had the sinking feeling that it would find its way to the ringmaster, which meant she had no time to lose. In the same manner that she had left the toilet, she clambered up onto the windowsill and lowered herself backward onto the ledge. Just beneath her was a security camera, screwed to the wall on a metal bracket. The camera was pointed down at the entrance to the restaurant. It looked solid enough. Jenny squatted on the little ledge, and keeping one hand on the window frame, she could just about touch the camera with one foot, but she couldn't put any weight on it to see if it would hold her. She looked around for another way down and saw the ringmaster coming fast down the road toward her, one hand resting on the whip at her belt, three monkey dogs trotting behind her. Jenny didn't need any more motivation. She let go of the window frame and stepped onto the camera. It bent under her weight but didn't break off. She balanced on it for a moment, then hopped off it and caught one of the supports of an awning with both hands. After steadying her swing, she dropped lightly to the ground and ran back through the doors of the restaurant. Mm-hmm.